This is Grace Revolution Part 5, and the title of this lesson is David's Take on Grace. Enjoy. We have, um, we have started a, a few weeks ago, in fact, four weeks ago, we started um, a series of teaching <clears throat> that I've entitled Grace Revolution. And uh, by the way, the, I have uh, uh, a number of uh, uh, CDs from the past uh, sessions available there if anybody wants them. And um, the, the idea is to present something that has been a bursting in my heart for many, many, for a few years now, for a few years, and that uh, has, has revolutionized my life and uh, my wife's life. And uh, first of all, I want to say one thing, and that uh, this is not uh, like, a, like a, a, a new religion or a new message, or and this, is a, this is an old message. This is a message that I think is the gospel, and that uh, uh, I don't expect uh, it to be better than anything or different, yes, but not. Uh, so I just don't want you to, to, to start to compare maybe, uh, you know, one preacher with the other, one uh, rendering with another. This is something that I believe, okay, that I believe so deeply because I've seen lives changed. Um, with the with the simplicity of the gospel of grace, so we have uh, um, we have started four weeks ago. The CDs are available. We have started with uh, with the first one that uh, was entitled "A Different Cheese," a very spiritual title because um, uh, the idea was that uh, we are uh, used to eat. A certain type of uh, food, a certain type of cheese. I, I made a cheese because uh, of, a, of a particular um, monster mozzarella that I was given uh, in Naples. But uh, we, you, you, you are used to eat that, that type of cheese and you eat that type of cheese all the time. And you get used to it. And so the food that you eat for years and years and years and years and years, even without knowing it, the spiritual food becomes something that you're accustomed to. Something that, uh, it's, like, uh, it's like you want to go home. It's like something that you're missing. If you hear something different, you want to go to what you used uh, to eat. And um, so this might taste a little different. <laughs> to, uh, yeah, a little different. And, uh, but it's a different type of cheese, okay? It's like... Uh, I, I preached that many years ago, I said that uh, the, 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 the gospel, the food, the, the spiritual food in the Word of God is the same everywhere. In fact, I had to hear the Lord saying to me, uh, Mario, remember that I said when they came and told me that there are people baptizing in, in my name and they're not part of our groups, I said... If they're not against us, they are for us. So we need to understand, and it, 
we, we need to understand, we need to make a quality decision that we are all part of one big family that eat different food. It's like the food is the same, but we go into a different... So I don't know what happened there. Uh, three minutes, can you imagine? Okay, we lost a whole bunch of stuff. I'll have to repeat it. Okay, let's start again. From the... <laughs> no, 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 okay. In the beginning. Okay, so... Um, so we have a situation where the old has ended and the new has started. So, the, so then we have this period of time where Jesus is ministering in his life, in his short three and a half years of ministry, because his first 30 years are very, very scattered in terms of what he did. There's not much record of what he did apart a couple of things. And mainly, his ministry is at three and a half years from when he appears at the Jordan to when he is crucified and then uh, raised from the dead. Uh, so, what, what, is the, what is the situation in, in this period of time? And we've seen that it's almost like we are facing two Jesuses, like two different manifestations of Jesus. Like, over here, he's very harsh with the Pharisees and with the Jews, not only with the religious people, but with the Jews. In fact, in John 8, 44, I think it is, somewhere there, um, Jesus tells them, you are of your father the devil, to the Jews. So he is very harsh, and yet he turns around to the Canaanite woman that asks him, to heal her daughter and makes a statement. He says, and makes a statement that nobody preaches on and nobody's ever stopped and considered. He said, I didn't come for the Gentiles. I came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He says it. Not only does he say it, but he also sends his apostles, his disciples. He says, don't go to the Gentiles. But go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So what does that mean? Quickly, because we've already covered it. It means that Jesus has one set of commandments and, and relationship phrases and, 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 and uh, uh, appeals and, and talks and everything with Israel. And another one with the Gentiles. And that's why he doesn't require anything from the Gentiles. Like the guy that comes from the, from the hole in the roof. Once again, he doesn't ask anything. He says, son, your sins are forgiven you. He didn't ask him. Jesus makes a statement because the, the gospel is not a requirement. The gospel is a statement. It's a statement like a newspaper. A newspaper doesn't tell you uh, uh, this will happen. It tells you this has happened. It reports news that have happened. That is what the good news, the Euangelizo, the, the, the gospel, is about reporting good news, something that has happened. So Jesus, when he speaks to the guy that drops from the sky, he says, your sins are forgiven you. And the guy could have said, 
listen, I didn't come here for the sins, I came for the legs, okay? Forget about the sins. That doesn't matter. Your sins are forgiven you. Christine, your sins are forgiven. But I'm a Muslim, I don't believe. It doesn't matter. Your sins are forgiven you. Because Christ has taken away the sin of the world. So the announcement is not, you will be forgiven if you repent of your sins. Your sins have been forgiven. But how many times we've been told that we need to repent? And I'm not going to go there because we haven't got time tonight, but we will go to the various repent and believe the gospel and, and, and stuff like that that we see in the Bible. Um, so, we, we've seen that, and we've seen that Jesus makes the statement that he will make of two um, flocks, he will make one. That Paul says, Jesus on the cross made of two men, one new man. So what happened? The old ended, the new started. No more Israel, no more Jews, no more Gentiles, one new man. In Christ or in Adam. There's no more in Moses. Because at that point in time, on the cross, Jesus said, Moses, it's finished. I have concluded the deal that God had with Moses on Mount Sinai. That Israel could not keep. You check from the book of Jeremiah, which spoke prophetically into the New Testament, to the book of Hebrews, when he says, And I will give them a new covenant. And I will put my laws in their minds, and their sins, and iniquities, I will remember no more. Okay, so, we've done that. And then from that, we moved on to, to, to the second lesson, where it says that uh, um, uh, we, we looked at uh, the title of the lesson was uh, Ring That Rooster's Neck. And the, 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 the thought behind it was the fact that uh, when Jesus spoke to Peter and told him before the rooster crows uh, uh, tonight, you, you, you'll have denied me three times. And my thought was this. Imagine every time a rooster crowed from that day on what the devil told Peter. You're a lousy Christian. And you call yourself a Christian? You betrayed Jesus. He gave his life for you and you, and you do this? And you did that? And so we spoke of the reminder in the book of Hebrews where it says that uh, if, the, if the sacrifices and ablutions and everything they, they did under the old covenant had been enough, they would not have been reminded of their sin every year. But because they did the ablution and the cleansing and the covering and the Yom Kippur and the scapegoat and the, every year, every year that procedure reminded them of the fact that they were not cleansed. That they still needed to be cleansed. Nothing has changed. Still today, you go to most churches and they will tell you, you need to repent. And there's a reminder of your sin. Say, so, yeah, but I committed it. Either Jesus nailed it to the cross according to Colossians 3 and according to Hebrews and according to Galatians and I mean, according to the whole Bible, or he didn't. If he didn't, guys, 
Honestly, let's get us another religion because this one. We're not going to do it. I don't know about you, but uh, maybe Greg, but I'm not going to be able to live according to the commandments of that book. And uh, people say, but uh, which was the following lesson. The following lesson was, lesson three was license to sin. Because the, what is usually said to me when I, when I preach uh, this message, which I understand is radical and it takes time. I, I, I know that even, even, even my wife took a period of time, she wanted to believe me, but it, but it was hard, because the grace will offend your mind to reveal your heart. Grace will offend your mind. You will, you will say, no, it can't be. I, I can't sin and, and I'm forgiven. It's, it's not right. Why? Because we've grown up with the understanding of a contract. If I do wrong, I must be punished. If I do right, I must be rewarded. Our parents, the school, the government, the, well, not this government, <laughs> but uh, uh, a good government. Uh, you know, the, if I do good, I'm, I'm, I'm rewarded. If I do bad, I'm punished. That is a covenant, that is a contractual relationship, and it's not the gospel. The gospel said, I have nailed your sins to the cross. Past, present, and future. No matter if you, if you sin a million times, I have nailed your sins to the cross. Because where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And so, that takes us to the next step where people say, yeah, but then, then I can do what I want. To which my usual reply is, why? What do you want to do? Because out of the your heart, your mouth speaks. So if you tell me that if I give you permission to sin, you will sin, it means your sin is in your heart. Out of the abundance of what's in your heart, your mouth speaks. So if you tell me, yeah, but then I can do what I want, it means that you want to do it, and the only reason you don't do it is because you're a hypocrite. Dun, 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 dun. Amen. Because like I said to you, I do all the singing that I want. The key is not to change your doing. The key is to change your wanting. And only grace can change your wanting. The law can alter your doing for a certain period of time because you're scared of being caught, you're scared of going to hell, you're scared of God slapping you somehow. So out of fear, you don't do something. Why? The first letter of John chapter 3 says that we have fear because fear involves judgment, torment because of judgment. In other words, we are fearful because we are scared of being judged. And that's why John says, but perfect love casts out fear. When you understand perfect love, you understand that you, you're not going to be judged. Christ has carried the judgment of humanity on the cross. That's why the Bible calls him the last Adam. Not the second Adam, the last Adam. There are no more Adams. 
We've run out of enemies. One failed, one succeeded. One messed up in the Garden of Eden, another one succeeded in the Garden of Gethsemane. One was the Adam in the flesh, the other one, the other one was the Adam in the spirit. And everyone who is located in Adam, in the spirit, does not sin. However, like we said last time, the consequences of sin, <laughs> that's it. You, we've looked at the story of, of David, David and Bathsheba, when, and we saw the whole sin, the whole, the whole terrible thing. David is part of the messianic title of Jesus. Jesus' messianic title is Yeshua ben David. Jesus, son of David. So the messianic title contains the name of an incredible sinner. I mean, we don't have to go through it. It's a, he's an adulterer, a cheater, a, a liar, a, a, a murderer, a, a traitor. David did it all. <clears throat> and yet we saw that verse of scripture when Nathan hears from God and he says, Your sin has been Put away. You will not die. Remember? And we saw that the word literally in the, in the Hebrew means God has put away your sin. God has put a cross over your sin. The literal meaning of that word, Dabar, means to put a cross over it. So God has put a cross over your sin. You will not die. However, someone will die because the wages of sin are death. And the child that you... And I said, I said, what fault? Why, why did the child have to die? Because your sin will kill somebody. Innocent or not innocent? The sin of Islam kills thousands of innocent people. Thousands upon thousands of innocent people. The sin of, of uh, 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 legalized abortion kills innocent babies. The... And this particular sin killed the baby that was conceived in Bathsheba. So David paid and then on top of it, he received the, 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 the condemnation of God through Nathan that said, the sword will not depart from your house. These are the consequences of your sin. So your sin carries consequences in this life. But not in that one. God has put away your sin. Has put a cross over your sin. You will not die. However, the consequences stay. And we call that red card. So this morning, see, tonight, uh, the, this, tonight, tonight I want to share with you the story of David. Um, David... The king. No, baby, maybe just now. Uh, thanks. Um, the king. Um, I, I, I would like to ask you this question. Who do you think in the, in the Old Testament is a figure, is a character that would require more, more grace than anybody else? And I gave you the answer, David, right? Out of the whole... Old Covenant, he most probably is the one that requires more grace. So he is the one who, 
understands more grace. Why? Because if you remember before Nathan told him, God put a cross over your sin, you will not die. David said, I have sinned against the Lord. So he understands grace. <clears throat> and he writes a psalm. He writes Psalm 23. Which I believe is in him to grace. Why? Because number one, uh, it comes after Psalm 22, which is a very deep revelation. I realize that. But uh, it comes after Psalm 22. That is basically the story of the cross. We don't have time, but it starts with Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we know who said that and when. So start with that verse, and it ends with, A posterity shall serve him. A posterity, the, 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 the Hebrew word is zerah, which is seed. It's a seed. We haven't got time, but, but this is speaking of Abraham, of the seed of Abraham. Not the seeds, but the seed, singular. So Christ, he's talking about Christ. He's talking about the epiphany of God in Christ. It will recount about the Lord to the next generation. They will come the next generation, the, the future generation, they will come and declare Nagad, which basically is the word announce. And we're talking gospel here. We're talking uh, uh, announcement. And they will come and declare, announce His righteousness, the seed's righteousness, to a people who will be born. That He has done this. If this is not the declaration of grace, this is talking about Christ coming and announcing that he has done something that will present the possibility of righteousness to a people yet to be born. So that's us. So, um, and some, some student maintained that David wrote this Bible in Mahanaim where, uh, when he was running away from Absalom. And he was crying for his son. He was crying for, uh, for his boy that was fighting him. So there's a, whole, there's a whole cauldron of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And, and David's heart that goes out to his son who is sinning. Right in that very moment he's sinning because he's trying to take him out. And yet he, he, he loves his boy. So let's start reading. <laughs> And, and let's see what it says. The Lord is my shepherd. Number one. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is not your shepherd. Mavis. When I talk, when I speak, the Lord better be my shepherd. David is talking about a relationship here. He's not, he's not, so, not saying the Lord goes to the same church I go to. The Lord is my shepherd. And then he says, I shall not want. Now it's interesting that uh, some of your uh, translations will say, I will lack nothing. Um, it's interesting that uh, when, when the, uh, the, the, the rich young ruler went to Jesus and said to him, good teacher, what must I do to obtain eternal life? And Jesus, the moment he heard what must I do, he understood that this man was approaching him on the basis of the law. So he gave him the law. He gave him commandments. He said to him, he said, you must do this, don't kill, don't, don't, don't swear, don't, 
show your finger to the motorists and the, to don't to just just be a good boy, okay? Just and 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 you'll be all right. And he says to him, he says to Jesus, says these things I've done since my youth. At which moment Jesus should have said, fine, then you got eternal life. But he says no. You still lack one thing. You see, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Religion is my shepherd. You still lack one thing. You will always lack something. You will never have faith enough. You will never be good enough. You will never be sanctified enough. You will never pray enough. You will never go to church enough. You will never pay your tithe enough. You will never give enough offerings. You will never do something ever enough. You put in the dots. You fill it in. But you know that religion will always tell you, you haven't done something. The Lord is my shepherd. I will lack nothing. I lack nothing. And then he says, he makes me to strive for righteousness. Isn't that, I mean, isn't, isn't this simple he makes me to lie down. Relax, boy. I've done it all. Sit down. Enjoy life. Come on. I told you before, but you remember in the tabernacle there wasn't a chair. The high priest in the Old Testament was not allowed to sit down. Because religion doesn't sit. Religion is always moving, doing the, the next sacrifice, giving the next offering, doing the next prayer, doing the next uh, night vigil uh, or fast or, 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 or this or that, or that. There's always something that you must do because you lack something. And here he says, you know what? My shepherd, first thing he does, he makes me. And it's almost like, hey, I told you, sit down, relax. Just lay, lay, lay. <laughs> I, I, I told you that the, the basis of a miracle is not faith. Don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, if you don't believe something, it's going to be way, way, way harder for that thing to happen in your life than it is if you believe it. So, but what I'm saying is not, it's not a, the mechanism of faith. You know what it is? It's rest. Because rest speaks of trust. Faith activity doesn't. Every time you pray the next prayer, you tell God, I don't believe you did, I don't believe you did it with the previous prayer, so I need to pray another prayer. And then I don't believe you did it with this prayer because I'm going to pray another prayer. And Jesus said when he multiplied the fish and the, and the loaves, what did he say? He said, make him sit down. Why? Because the basis, the foundation of a miracle is rest. Rest, relax. I'll do it. Don't worry. I'll handle it. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. It's, it's, it's beautiful because once again the, the Hebrew, the, the, the root word for pastures is repose, rest. It's where, it's where, the, it's where the cattle lies down. It's where the, where the sheep rest. That is the green pasture. That's the picture that he's, he's trying to Give us. He leads me beside the still water. He leads me. He doesn't drive me. See, grace 
is not behind you pushing you. Grace is in front of you saying, come, come on, follow me. Jesus never pushed anybody. He went to Matthew and he said, come you dirty, rotten, scoundrel, um, criminal, Jacob, Zuma, sorry, 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 that doesn't call for but it's true. Uh, (laughs) Yo, get up and change your life before you can follow me. No, he said, come, follow me. Just like you are. Why? Because in the following comes the changing. You follow Christ, Lord. It's so beautiful. One of the biggest blessings spoken by a Jew to another Jew is made a dust of the sandals of your rabbi fall on the limb of, on the hem of your robe in other words may you be so close to him that the dust that he picks up and that of course links to the fact that when jesus said that shake the dust off your uh, off your uh, whatever it is thing uh, but it's, that it's it's as you follow what the what the rabbi does falls on you and you pick it up automatically as you follow. So Jesus says, <clears throat> David says, he leads me. He leads me. We have, we have a, a t- two pictures here. We have the, the shepherd. If I say shepherd to you, um, we often see shepherds in Italy, especially in Sicily. Um, we see the old type shepherd. With the dog and the, and, and, and the flock. And, the, and he just sits there under a tree. And the birds are singing. In Italian. <laughs> and the breeze and, and the wind is blowing. And the, and the trees are, are doing the, the, the thing and everything. And the, the general picture is what? Peace. Okay, why? Because the shepherd leads. When he gets up, he doesn't even have to say anything because the sheep know his voice so all he has to say is let's go and she get up and go he doesn't have to shout or anything but now take the other picture and think of a cowboy a cowboy with a herd of cattle what is the first thing that goes through your mind chaos chaos Dust. They speak Afrikaans. And cha 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 and the and and noise and 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 chaos. Because that's that's a picture of religion. That's why the shepherd leads. The cowboy pushes. That's why whenever you find somebody tells you to do something, take a step back and say, "Is this my shepherd?" Or is this my cowboy? Because, i tell you one thing, with the cowboy, there's a lot of dust. And dust, in the Bible, speaks of flesh. So not only the dust picked up by the cowboy, but the, 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 but the dust that falls on you. Your reaction to the cowboy will be very fleshy. Sooner or later. Okay. So, uh, we're not doing too well, but uh, we're on verse 2. 
but okay. He leads me beside the still waters, and again, this is magnificent, the Hebrew, because it speaks of the waters of reflection. In other words, when the water is still, it reflects. God sees you. What is the only thing in the body, in the human body, that reflects? It's the eye, right? So, the picture is, in, in Genesis, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. In other words, when you see, when you look in the eyes of God, you see your reflection the way that He sees you. And this is what David is, is saying, when I, when I look at myself, I see myself in the water, in the calm waters of reflection, not as I see myself, but as my shepherd sees me. And that is the key. The calm waters of reflection. That you will see yourself, not as the world sees you, not as your friends see you, not even as your family sees you, but as your God sees you. And He sees you pure and perfect and absolutely blameless. And that's what, that's what David is talking about here. He's talking about the, the, waters of the, still, the still waters of the fish. He restores my soul. Um, he restores my soul. Grace will, will settle your mind. Once it gets in your heart, grace will settle your mind. Once it stops offending your mind to reveal your heart. Once it settles in your heart, once you believe it, grace will settle your soul. There will be no more search. There will be no more fighting. You know how much I used to fight because this translation wasn't the right translation and interpretation and the Codex Masoretic or the Vulgate or the, or the Vaticanus or the, or the Syriac or the Egyptian. You know how many Codex there are in the... the, the how many Codex, how many pieces of Scripture there have been that have formed this thing? Over 30,000 pieces of Scripture, parchments, pieces of Scripture from which... Men got together and they created the Masoretic text, the text receptus, the Vaticanus, the Syriac, the Egyptian, the, the Vulgate, the Latin Vulgate, the this and the that and the that. And out of that, some students have come up with this. And, and, if you, and if you read this and you read the NIV and you read the Good News and you read another translation, you, you're confused because which one is right? And then, of course, if you take a step back and you look at the, at the uh, Council of Nicaea, where, where, where this was declared to be the canon, and you step into the, Codex, the, into the Council of uh, the Vatican, where they added 18 books. They haven't added, they just the, the Protestants didn't accept the book of Tobit, the book of Judith. First and Second Maccabees, the letters of Jeremiah, the Book of Wisdom, Susanna. Did you know there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a holy book called Susanna? Susanna, oh, Susanna, Susanna. Okay? So you see, now, they, 
I don't know about you, but that that threw me used to throw me up the wall and say, "What? Who's right? What is this? What this word means? That what? What is? Who's right? When you when grace enters your heart, you settle. Because you know what? It doesn't really matter. Basically." What comes out of this book is light. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God, and, and the light was the life of men. In him was light, and the light was the life of men. So, light is life. The first creation, when God said, light be, there was no sun, there was no moon, there were no stars. The sun was created on day four. So what light? What is that light? It's the same light that we find in the book of Revelation when the Bible says, and there will be no need for a sun because the Lamb will give the light. Is the light, is the life, is the thing that you have, the light that, that inside of your heart that the Holy Spirit brings, the light of revelation, the, the, the morning star that rises and all of a sudden you understand what this word is talking about. And so, what's the difference between this candle, that light... The headlights in your car, a match, or a 40,000 watt Auschwitz type projector. Maybe size, maybe volume, maybe condition, but the light is the same. The light is the same. They all produce light. And that's why when God creates uh, the, the sun and the moon, the word for light is the word or. Remember that so that you can tell the Jews. Or is light. And the word for carrier of light, or other words, uh, the, 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 the English Bible calls it also light. It puts two lights in the sky. Two, two, let's say a lantern. Okay, it puts That is mahor. Mahor will, means that which produces light. It's not the light. God is the light. The sun is a maor. It produces light. <coughs> the light is beyond the sun. The light is beyond the book. The, the, light is, the light is beyond the translation. The light is beyond the interpretation. The light is beyond the preacher. The light is beyond. The light is the word of God, the spirit of God that is inside. I don't care what you're reading. You could be reading Joy Magazine and get a revelation. I wouldn't try Playboy. <laughs> but you can, read, you can read anything. You can listen to anything. You can touch anything. God is everywhere. God touches a, a, a sunset. God touches a sunrise. God touches a, a child that looks at you with, with beautiful eyes. God touches a, 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 your wife that holds your hand. God touches two old people that just sit in front of the sea. God, God is... Wherever there is love, there is God. Wherever there is beauty, there is God. Wherever there is light, there is God. Wherever there is light, there is life. Wherever there is God, there is life. And so out of this, the moment you understand grace, you just say, there's a verse that doesn't check. There's something that you don't understand. It's okay, Lord. 
when, when you're ready for me, when you think that I need to know what this means, just switch on the light. That's it. You know, we, we, take, we take the Bible and we use, the, especially the Old Testament. The Old Testament was not written to us. The Old Testament was written to Israel. But we take it and we appropriate it. Job. You want to talk about the judgment of God? Talk about Job. And then, of course, we want the double anointing of Elijah. Why? You got the anointing of Christ. Why do you want the double anointing of Elijah? I don't care if it's a hundred times the anointing of Elijah. It will never be the anointing of Jesus Christ. The anointing of the Holy Ghost. So why? But we, 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 we look at this thing and we, and we take it by the word. We take it by the letter. And Paul says, guys, relax. The letter kills. It is the spirit. It is the light. It is the life that gives life. And that's why when you read it, you need to look for life. As long as you find commandments and as long as you find something to do, it's very hard to find life. And to be encouraged. So he says, he restores my soul. He brings it back to, my, to the original state. And then he says, once again, he says, he leads me in the paths of righteousness. Now, isn't that interesting? Grace leads you to righteousness. He doesn't lead you in the path of sin. He leads me. Follow me. Follow Christ. Follow grace. You will go in the path of righteousness. And again, if you remember last, last, Sunday, last week, we didn't, we didn't do the example. Because, but I told you about a, a, a sheet that is totally dirty and filthy and black and full of mud and, and grass and, and blood and, and dirty yuckety yuck. What, that, what happens if you, if you drop another, another little blob of ink? How much? Ah, but if you've got a, a white sheet and all of a sudden you go, look, you go, no, 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 let me clean it, let me clean it, let me clean it. You see, and that is the thing when you think religion... The enemy comes and he says, ah, come on, once more, what, what, ah, you, 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 you loaded with sin anyway. You haven't been confessing your sin for at least three days. So I know what you've done in these three days. And I tell you, you sheet it black. So, eh, well, not another, another little blob doesn't make any difference. And that's the way that people think. And that's why they keep every Sunday... They, come, they keep coming back to the altar and say, I'm rededicating, rededicate my life to the Lord. Why? Because you lived like a dog last week. That's why. Because you know that in any case, all you have to do is go to the altar and repent. And you start again. Why? Because your sin is not taken away. Your sin is discovered. <laughs> but with grace, your sin is taken away. Your sheet is white. White, white, white. White. And you cannot spoil it. You cannot stain it. Even if you try. So, it says... Is this alright? Yeah, yeah. Are we awake? Are we alright? I'm checking with Peter. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he leads me in the path of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. For his name's sake. What is the name? What is the name that Jesus gave us of the Father? Abba. 
Paul speaks of the, we have been given the name Abba. We have been adopted by Abba. We have received the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father, Abba, Daddy. He's not judge, he's not king, he's not ruler, he's not monarch, he's Abba, Daddy. So for the sake of his name, he leads us in the path of righteousness. You, yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and again, the, 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 the operative word there is the word through. If you find yourself in the valley of death, don't picnic there. Just keep on going. Walk through. But we all know that the statistics have proven that sooner or later, we all kick the bucket. Okay? It's 100% certain that sooner or later, we're all going to go. Okay? So now, we are walking through a valley of shed of, that, of, the, of death right now. Okay? But you know what? It's a shadow of death. See, the shadow of dog doesn't bite anybody. <laughs> the shadow, the, the shadow doesn't, doesn't. You know, you know what the shadow does. All that the shadow does, it tells you there's a light somewhere. In fact, if the shadow is in front of you. You know that the light, the shadow of whatever it is in, in front of you, it's, it's projecting there. You know that the light is where you're going. And so the only, it says, it says, yeah, it says, watch, it says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why? Again, we said in John, John says to us, there's, there's no fear in love. So why you will fear no evil? Because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now the word, uh, the word uh, staff is the word sebet, which is translated, rod, rod is, uh, is misena, which means support. And uh, staff is sebet, which means, is translated nine times out of ten, if not 9.5 times out of ten, tribe. So what David is saying, he's saying, when I see the staff, you, you remember the, 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 the rod of the 12 tribes of Israel in the tabernacle and the rod of Aaron that budded. That's, that's the meaning of the rod. Remember when Moses lifted the, the, the rod? It, why, why would they win when they saw the rod? Because the rod speaks of your tribe. And it speaks of your chief. And it speaks of your dad. And it speaks of your house. And it speaks of where you're coming from. And that's why I will fear no evil. You know why? Because I know where I'm going. Your staff, your tribe, it comforts me. And your rod, it gives me support. So even in this valley, even in this walk that I, that I, that I take to come to you, I don't fear evil because you support me and I know where I'm going. I'm going to Papa's house. That's my tribe. That's my daddy. That's my chief. That's where I'm going. That's why. That's why I fear no evil. You cannot not fear evil. Evil is bad. Evil is ugly. But you, when you understand grace and when you understand that you are going not in your strength, but in the, in, in the support of God, that He will carry you there and that you're going home to Papa, to a certain extent, evil loses its fear. And you say, okay, 
To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Let's hope it happens quickly when it happens that we don't have to... But it's going to happen. So, what, the, what is the only thing that keeps you smiling on the way there? It's the fact that you know where you're going. The fact that you know where you're going. There's a beautiful story of a, of a, of a doctor that had a dog that used to, used to go. He, he just, it, it basically knew the time when, when the doctor would come home. And so he would go to the rooms and he would start scratching on the door to tell his owner it's time to come home and play with me and feed me and whatever. So, so one day the, do the doc changes rooms and goes somewhere else. But the, but, the, but the dog smells him and he knows where he is. So comes the time and he starts scratching on the door. And there's a patient in his room and he says, what? who's that? He says, uh, I don't know, it's my dog. He wants to come in. And the patient says, but isn't he scared? Isn't he afraid? He doesn't know. You've, he's never been in these rooms. And, and the doctor looked at him and says, yeah, you know, he doesn't know what's here, but he knows who's here. And that's why he's not scared. He doesn't know what's here, but he knows who's here. So, yeah, walk, though I walk through the valley of the, of the shadow of death, you will, you, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, you are with me, and your rod and your staff to come for me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Note it doesn't say you prepare a table before me in your presence. So what he's saying, he's saying, you prepare a table with all, with all type goodies. There's, there's, there's lasagna, and there's, and there's filet mignon, and there's... Uh, and, and, and there's mozzarella, and there's, uh, and there's prosciutto, and there's salami from Naples, and there's, uh, there's, uh, there's, 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 uh, there's uh, yeah, boltong, why not, boltong, Bolt, there's boltong, and there's, and there's, uh, uh, and there's uh, my mother-in-law's uh, sweet cake with, uh, with caramel and the condensed milk and this, and all these things, and they did, okay, and then he says, but they're in the presence of your enemies. What does that mean? It means that there's someone that doesn't want you to enjoy the table set before you. And you know what the devil does? The devil pulls up a chair and he says, uh, uh, Do you mind if I sit there? <laughs> Look at this. This is <coughs> nice. Uh, mm, this is good. And he starts accusing you. And he starts telling you that not, you're not worthy, you're not good enough to enjoy that mozzarella or that bulldog. No, no, you can't have that piece of bulldog. I, I like that piece of bulldog. You can't have it, man. Come on. You know what you did yesterday. You can't have that. And besides, this morning, you want to you wanna eat this lasagna? And I know what you did this morning. You so there's a, there's a whole table laden before me. But the devil, in the presence of my enemies, the devil says you can't eat it. Because you don't deserve it. And if I were to go through each and every one of you, including me, there's something in your life that you feel you don't deserve. And that's why you're not eating it. And it's usually, bottom line is I don't deserve it.
I haven't prayed enough, I haven't believed enough, I have, uh, I have messed up, I have sinned, I have recent, I have re-recent, <laughs> I have uh, this and that and the other, and you s sit at the table in the prison and your enemies eat your food. Instead of you saying, you know what, let me tell you something. Yes, I know, I messed up. Tough luck, that's my food. <coughs> Take your hands off of my salami. Lost the bolto. <laughs> and don't touch the wine. That is a very, very precious bottle of wine that my Lord gave to him. And the devil comes and he says, Do you mind? Can you, can you uncork the bottle? Take your hands off my bottle. Because you see, he will tell you that you're not worthy of enjoyment. And he will use, most of the time, religion. Because religion will always tell you, you lack something. Always. Now watch what he says. You anoint my head with oil. And that is the creo, the anointing. The, 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 from where we get the, the, the word Christos in the Greek. And Mashach, from where we get the word Hamashiach in the Hebrew. And it's, and it's the, the, the covering, it actually, mean, it actually means to, to, to cover with oil. That's why they poured it on, on the head, because it's supposed to cover your whole body. And all of a sudden, it's almost like you, are, you, 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 have, a, you have one of these power domes, you know. Mr. Zulu, engage. It's like you, you have this thing that... You know, the devil cannot touch you, not because you deserve it, or you're still the same, but you're, you're covered with oil. Oil, it's Creo, it's Christos, Hamashiach, Messiah. You're covered with his presence. You are protected. You are separated. You are sanctified. Sanctified, the word sanctified means separated, means means. Taken, up, taken away, you are separated from the rest of the world by His presence, by His goodness, by His oil. And that's how you can eat your food. By telling the devil, you know what? I might be a bit of a rebellious son. I might be a bit of a disobedient son. I might even be a bit of a sinning son. But I'm a son. You're a snake. I wanted to say something, but I didn't say it. <laughs> Just now, offend Greg. <laughs> my cup, my cup, runs over. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. All the days of my life. Now I want you to imagine something, okay? And I'm and I'm I'm done. Promise. Little boy asked his mother, "What does it mean when the preacher says I'm done?" She said, "Nothing." <laughs> anyway, but surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Remember, we're talking about grace, following the shepherd, okay? Following grace. The the, the shepherd represents grace. Goodness, the word goodness there in the Hebrew is the word tob, which it's taken all the way back to Genesis 1 when God begins to create and at the end of every day he says, and behold, it was good. 
That word good is the word tob. And right at the end it was very good. That, that is the goodness. That's, that is what it means. It means, that, it means the, 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 the character, the nature of God. Remember what Paul says, that uh, it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance, okay? So it is the nature of God, it is the, it's the goodness of God, so the goodness. And the, and the mercy, your goodness and mercy, and mercy is the word chesed. Chesed, right throughout the Old Testament, speaks not only of mercy, but speaks of loving kindness and speaks of grace. In fact, the word grace could very well be translated chesed, and the, 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 the literal... Uh, coupling, putting together of the of the letters of the of the Hebrew, center uh, in the in the in the in the core of grace. So Chesed could very well be translated uh, um, grace, even though the main translation is loving kindness. Uh, uh, so we got the goodness and we got the grace. Okay, now I want you to picture in your mind. I'm walking my day. Alright, I wake up in the morning, go to the bathroom, come down, have breakfast, get in the car, go to work, do my morning work, get in the car, come back here, have lunch, or go somewhere. And during the course of my life, during the course of my day, I sin. Right? You do too. I don't care if your name is Pope. Vaticanus III, Billy Graham, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not one, not a one that can call himself righteous. So we all sin, okay? Even though when I think of my wife, that's a little bit difficult for me to think. But that, even, even she, even she, uh, uh, she sins. We all sin. Okay, now, now I'm, I'm walking and I'm sinning. Okay, now what does religion say that when I, when I stumble and I fall, religion, who, what, who say, religion says, who's following me? Judgment and penalty. Right? That's what religion says. When you fail, you stumble, there's judgment and there's penalty. To the point where if you do it too many times, and I still have to figure out how many times, you will actually lose your salvation. Right? And we know that the majority of churches, not all of them, but the majority of churches believe that if you sin long enough, or like we said the other day, if you sin willfully, and I asked everyone in the room to lift your hand, if you ever sinned unwillfully. Everybody sins willfully. Everybody knows exactly what he's doing when he's doing it. Right? So, there is no unwillful sin. You don't, you don't sin while you're sleeping. Because sin is linked to choice. If you have no choice, you have no sin. And that's why the Bible says that where there's a law, sin revives. Because the law of sin and death, the law of good and evil, the law gives you the choice to decide. And the moment you decide, you're going to sin. Even if you do it good, you're not doing good enough. And so you're going to sin. The only choice that you have is Christ. In that choice, you don't sin. So, 
Religion will say, behind you, you got judgment and penalty. Grace says, behind you, you got goodness and mercy. So when you stumble, you fall, guess who catches, guess who catches you? Goodness and mercy. And you fall again, guess who's behind you? Goodness and mercy. And you keep on falling, and you keep on tripping, and in the whole, I mean, it's been a bad day, man. I tell you, you woke up bad, you, you started sweating at 7 o'clock in the morning, and you haven't stopped yet. It's 7.30 in the evening, and, and, and you're still talking to the television and to the, to the, to the people. So, you do it, and uh -huh. who catches you every time? Goodness and mercy. And I'm done. The last verse is... Follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell. And the word dwell in the house of my Lord forever. The word dwell is a word of yasab, which means literally to sit down. I don't visit. I'm there to stay. That's my papa's house. I'm sitting down. When you get to your house, you open the door. You put your feet on the, on the table, you sit on the couch, feet on the table, turn on television, get a glass, eat, whatever, you sit down. You, that's home. And I will dwell, I will sit down in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray. Daddy God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for being the shepherd that leads us, Lord. Thank you that we, we can close our eyes and see the beautiful reflection of your face in the water. And you see us and we see you and us in you and you in us and the two of us in God. And it's so magnificent and it's so relaxing and it's so <sighs> restful. Thank you for watching.